So I didn't do any of that to order my tickets. I just typed in ALCS and there was a place that said buy tickets. And so <laughs> I cannot wait for the opening night Friday night. All right, could we stand together in honor of God's word? We had to, when we were in chapter four, we skipped over one verse that we're going to do in chapter four, and then we'll go, we'll pick up our series in Ephesians, where we are in Ephesians six. But this is the verse we didn't get to. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then over in chapter six, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Open up our hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and speak. We need you to come and apply. And we need you actually to help us respond as well. So let this be a safe place where we can be in your presence and have our minds and hearts washed with your word. We love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. God bless you. So some translations, oh, the title of the message is Working with Jesus. And some translations say, slaves, um, obey your masters with fear and trembling. And I chose the ESV, it says bond servants, because there's two words used about slaves in the New Testament. One is the word soma, and it means somebody that is a slave against their will, somebody that is treated as property that is just something I can use, and about a third of the Roman Empire were these kind of slaves. This is slavery very similar to the, the slavery of, uh, of African Americans in, in our history uh, as a country. But that's not the word that's used here. It's not soma. It's another word, doulos. And this was a bond servant, and it was very different. And about a third of the Roman Empire were bond servants. But in this one, you voluntarily entered into it. It was usually a seven-year contract for your work, for your willingness to be a bondservant. You were provided room and board, and the master would save up your wages, and on your freedom in seven years, you would, get a, you would, you would have a fresh start. You would have a, a new beginning. And, but the most important thing about a bondservant is they were not forced into this. They chose to enter into this service for pay. So this is very similar to employees and employers today. So today we want to talk about work. Working with Jesus. So here is point one. God's perspective on work. All work 
All the work we do is transformed when we give our lives to Jesus, or it should be transformed when we give our lives to Jesus. There is something, it was coined in the early 20th century called the Protestant work ethic. And I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and here's what it said about the Protestant work ethic. Just as priests and caring professionals are deemed to have a vocation or calling from God for their work, according to the Protestant work ethic, the lowly workman also has a noble vocation which he can fulfill through dedication to his work. So the reason why it's called the Protestant work ethic is what had happened in Catholicism, this is back to the 16th century, there had been this divide where there is the clergy and the laity, and the clergy does sacred work, and the laity does secular work. And the idea being, this this sacred work is more important so that if you really want to please God, if you really want to worship God, you need to be a monk or a or a missionary or or a pastor or or have because that work that's done in the church is sacred and it's precious to God. And this other work is just kind of like secular work, and that's just what you do when you're not at church. And Martin Luther came along and said. Um, you know what, this whole paradigm, this whole divided paradigm, it's not in the Bible. In fact, is what the Bible teaches is that every believer is a priest. There's not a special group of priests. Every believer is a priest. Every believer's calling is holy. And so work is holy. Work is just as holy as being at church. When you are at work, you, God is watching. God is part of this. When it says here, Bond servants with fear and trembling serve your masters. This is not fear and trembling of your employer. This is fear and trembling of God. What the whole point is, you're not really serving them. You're serving God. And God is watching. This is called the fear of the Lord, to live for an audience of one. Uh, Socrates was the one that said that an unexamined life is not worth living. Well, I'll tell you right now, our lives are being examined. God is watching. God's eye is on us, and our, our challenge is to have our eye on him. And not just, it's not just the employees, it's the employers as well, that ultimately everyone will give an account to God. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Here's what it says. For we, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We are your servants for Jesus' sake. So it's not, and it's not just the employee that is a servant for Jesus' sake. The employer is also a servant for Jesus' sake. And everybody's like, well, I, you know, I wish I could have the freedom of owning my own business. I want to be the employer. Listen, here's what I've heard from, from those that have their own business. Instead of working 50 hours a week, now they're on all the time. <laughs> now, well, if I was my own boss, I would take all these vacations. And here's the reality. They never take a vacation because they're the boss. Anyway, whatever. Um, that's, an, that's another sermon for another day. Um, Ephesians 6, 6 through 7. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. 
serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, as if you were serving the Lord and not people. So the, the, the whole culture of the world is kind of like do as little work as you can get away with and if the, somebody's watching, then work harder and if the boss is there, everybody's got to keep track of where the boss is because we all have to look busy when the boss is near. And, 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 and Paul's saying, that's not how we serve. We're not serving our boss. We're serving, we're serving God. So, so we're, always, we're always working in. And it, there's a tremendous freedom in this because you never have to keep track of where the boss is. You don't have to care about who's watching because you're, you're working for the Lord. You're doing it with integrity. And, and if they happen to catch you at it, great. And, and if they don't, God saw. So what is God looking for in his workers? So it says about thieves to stop stealing and to do honest, honest labor so that you will have something to share with others. So here is the dichotomy. The thief is trying to do as little work as possible, preferably no work, so that he can take something for himself. I'm, I, I'm trying to do as little work as possible, and I, I want to get something, I want to take something for me, and in the kingdom, it's just the opposite. In the kingdom... I'm not trying to get away with anything. I am trying to do honest work so that I will have something to give to others. The Christian view is I'm looking beyond my need and my supply to what can I share with others. This is how Jesus set it up. And to promote this system, he says this. This is all over the scripture. Everything that you share, there's some seed that you are given that is for your own food, for your own shelter, for your own house payment, for your own needs, for your own vacation, and there's other seed that is given to you for you to sow, for you to give away. And what God says is, I've got my eye on everything you share with others, and it will all be rewarded. I'm keeping an account. Everything you do in my name to give to other people for my name's sake, I will I, will, I see that and you will receive a reward in heaven for it. So in God's perspective, your, whatever you, your living is what you make. Your life is what you give. And so in, in the kingdom, we're, we're not just trying to survive. We want to be a blessing wherever we go. So it says... Honest, honest work. So I want to I share something with you about uh, Proverbs. Psalms are written mainly by David, and they're so that we will have a heart after God's own heart. And it's all about our emotions and our relationship with God and how to process our, our stuff with God and, and to really have a worshiping heart. Proverbs, written by Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, the Proverbs are there to show you how to be successful in this life. God wants to help you be a success in this life. Thank God we're going to heaven one day, but we're here now. And God actually wants to help us succeed here. So as we talk about work, almost all of the verses are out of Proverbs. These are really 
These are things that if we get them into our life and we apply them, they will make our life down here better, okay? So here's, here's honesty. Proverbs 16, 11, a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Huh. So God's not just concerned about what happens in church. He's not just concerned about the holy place and the holy of holies and what religious thing we're doing. He's also concerned about what happens on Monday morning, that the the, the weights and the scales are how they paid for things. And, And he's watching to see if we're honest at work, if we are credible at work. We went on a missions trip to Mexico. We were with Josh and Ann, my, my daughter and her husband and their family, and did some, some work in their church. And then half the time we were going, they were all coming with us, and Alice and I, going over to Holly and Noe to another part of Mexico. And it was about three hours away, and Josh and Ann's vehicle broke down And so we didn't have a way to get there. And so I came up with this plan where our other missionary down there, Doug White, would give us a ride to the airport in his vehicle that could fit us all. And we would rent a van and we would drive over from where they are over to where Holly and Noe were. And so um, Anne reserves this van. She says, Dad, should I put a deposit? I'm like, absolutely. We need that van. So she runs the credit card, gives them the credit card, and, and we've got this van ready for us. Well, we get to the airport, and we're in the rent-a-car place, and Josh and I are in there together, and of course, Josh is doing the talking because it's Spanish, and they're like, yeah, we got your reservation number. Yeah, that, we don't have that van here. And Josh is like, okay, well, we'll take a similar van. No, there's no vans, not only at our place, there's no vans at any of the other rent-a-car places, sorry, you're going to have to get a different vehicle. And Josh is like, well, that's not, that's not going to work because we've got a lot of people. We needed a van. And they're like, oh, well, we do have this really nice 15-seat van, and it's just going to cost you $1,000 more for the four days that you have it. $1,000. Now, and we're like, oh, well, that's not happening. And so, and then, and then the American gets in. That's me. And I'm like, you know, Americans, uh, I want to talk to your manager. Go get me a manager. So he goes off. He comes back with this guy that speaks English. And I'm like, this is completely unacceptable. You've already charged our credit card. And this is our van. We have to go this way. He says, I'm sorry, sir. I cannot help you. We've got this other vehicle for a thousand extra dollars. And I'm like, there's no way that we're paying a thousand extra dollars. Absolutely not. This is on you. This is your mistake. Of course, in America, customers always right. Mexico, not quite like that. <laughs> but here was the interesting thing. This same conversation was happening at all the other places. This whole Rent-a-car place was based on corruption. It was all bait and switch. It was all bring people in, promise them anything, and then know, they, you know they're in a pinch because they're at an airport, they need a car, and then you do whatever you want to do. And this, this is corruption, and it might make you more money in this month and maybe even in two months. But no business that's built on corruption is going to last Listen to what it says in Proverbs. This is Proverbs chapter 12. 
Good people obtain favor from the Lord, but he condemns those who devise wicked schemes. No one can be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. Do not make a divide between your business and your relationship with Jesus. You have got to build your business on light. You've got to build it on honesty. You've got to build it on you providing something that is of value and any, anything else. If you use darkness to promote your business, what's going to happen is you might make more money this month, but it's not going to last. Build slowly, build honestly, and the, 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 your reputation will get out there. And God will build your business and it will not be uprooted. So that's honesty. Let's talk secondly about diligence. Proverbs 12, 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. I know what this verse means because I lived it. When I was in high school and it carried into my first year of college, my main goal was to do as little work as possible. <laughs> and, uh, but I, 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 wanted, I wanted to go to college and I, you know, I wanted to get A's. And so I just figured out what was the absolute minimum to do to get A's. And I would do that. And, um, but I was always forced labor. I'd procrastinate. I would... My, I've got a paper due, I would, I would play basketball, I would, I would watch TV, I would do things that I like, and then all of a sudden, when it was absolutely critical, I would spend all night long working on a paper, cranking out a paper for that class, and then I'd be wasted for two days because I was just exhausted, and then, you know what happens then? Then you get behind in your other classes, now you've got a test in this, and you put off everything else to just study for that test because I've got, a, got that test, and, and then... Your whole life is forced labor. Your whole life is, do you want to do something? No, I can't. I've got this paper due. It's due tomorrow. I have to do it. I, I have to study for this test. It's coming up. Uh, and your whole life is forced labor. It, it got even worse in college. When I was a freshman in college, oh my. I'm now on my own. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm in the dorms. We have got this lounge that's got a pool table. It's got foosball tables. It's got ping pong. It was fun down there. And so I'm, I'm in charge. I ask myself, what do I want to do today? Study or play ping pong? <laughs> ping pong, boom. And, and then I found out how college works. I was at the UW. Nobody cares what you do. They will just give you a bad grade. They will just flunk you out. And, I, and I'm, I'm majoring in business, so I have to have a certain GPA just to get into the business school. And so I am finding myself, these tests are coming up and it's like 50% of my grade is on this test. And I'm just like, ah, and so I'm just forced labor, forced labor all the time. And then I'm behind on the next thing. And it's just, and the diligent hand, it says, will rule. What that means is this, instead of putting off hard things, difficult things, do them. Just do them up front. And, and what happens then is you've got free time. You can make choices. You're not stuck. You're not always behind, always behind, always behind. The diligent rule their life where the lazy get put to forced labor. You and I need to develop something called diligence. Let's talk more about it. Here we go. 
Proverbs 21, verse five. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So diligence doesn't just do the work, it does it thoroughly. It's not just hasty and we're just gonna get through it. Once again, I learned through life about this. We got, we, w- w- when the kids were little, we bought this play set that was gonna be swings and a horse and a slide and the whole thing. And, but it, you know, it's beautiful in the store. It's all set up in the store. Yeah, we'll take that. And then they give you a box. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh. I'm not Mr. Mechanical. And uh, anybody that knows me knows that. So I call my brother Mike to help. So, so Mike, great spirit, and he, he, he comes and we pull out the, you know, this phone book of instructions. He's like, we don't need that. We'll put this thing together. We'll, we'll get that. How hard can it be? Oh boy, those are famous last words. How hard can it be? So we just start putting this thing together. And we got this thing together and all of a sudden we realize this is not the right way. And so we go back, where is that instruction book anyway? We, we go back, we're like, oh boy. And then we spend a half hour taking it apart again. And then and a, a one hour job ended up taking three hours and I, and I, and I learned something. And I, I value efficiency highly. If you, wanna, if you wanna do it efficiently, you have to read the instructions beforehand. However distasteful it is to read the instructions. It's going to save you a lot of time in the long run. You are going to waste your time if you ignore the instructions. How many know that this is an instruction book? How many know that you can waste a lot of your life by just ignoring this thing? And, and then you finally realize it's never going to work. God will never accommodate to the way you're doing it. God has a certain way of doing stuff. And if you want to go against the grain, go ahead. You're going to get slivers. And God's like, there is a better way, by the way. You could just read about it. Anyway, Proverbs 12, 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. So here, here's what I've got for you. Don't be afraid of work. If you're willing to work, you're free. You will always have, you will always have plenty. If you're just willing to do work. Those who are diligent and plan on working are going to have plenty of bread. Those who chase fantasies, those who are looking for their get-rich-quick scheme, those who are trying to do it another way are, are going to end up in a very bad place. So don't be afraid of work. We were created to work. We were created to work in the garden, to work with God. Your, your best version of yourself is you working. We've set up a different system in America where everybody's looking forward to the day that they don't work. I'm, I'm working this amount, but I can't wait until I don't work. You know, before you get that excited, you should spend a little time watching daytime television. 
So there is no such thing in the, in the Bible or in the kingdom of God as retirement. There is only reassignment. You're, gonna, you're, you're done with this thing and now you're going to be reassigned. And God's going to give you purposeful work that you'll do. it. Now it might look different. Maybe nobody will pay you for it. Maybe it will, you'll be serving your children or your grandchildren or you'll be on the mission field and you'll be doing something in some other way maybe even that's more preferable in your next assignment, but don't get it in your head that there is a time when God's gonna tell you, hey, why don't you just play golf from now on? You, you deserve this. You, you just relax and, 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 you, and, and you're fine. You're not gonna be happy without work in your life. And so you, when you are, quote, in retirement, you are now an employer, you know, you were an employee, maybe you worked and you had a pension and, and now you retired and now you find yourself as an employer. Like, Pastor Tom, what do you mean employer? I don't have any businesses. Nope, you have an employee and there's, or, uh, you're an employer and you have one employee, yourself. And God wants to know what you're gonna do with your new business, which is whatever assignment he gives you. This is the kingdom of God. All right, that's diligence. And then thirdly, thankfulness. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We live in a country of complainers. You and I need to be thankful that we have a job. Well, Pastor Tom, it's not the job I wanted. It's that they don't pay enough. They're not this enough. They don't have enough benefit. Not... Listen, stop. Thank God that you have a job. Thank God that you have strength to work. Thank God that if you don't have strength to work, that Jesus helps you at work to overcome whatever strength you don't have to work. Thank God for all of his blessings. But Pastor Tom, there's people that are doing the same work that I am that are making way more than me. And I, there are people that work less than me, I, I swear it, that are making more than me. And I don't like my current setup. Listen, if you want to compare your salary to other people's, then I, I suggest you find somebody in the third world that's doing what you do. Because what you are getting paid for, they're doing the exact same job and they get paid a dollar a day for what you are doing. And so we just need to, we need to have a little context. And God does think about this. I just think it's incredible. John the Baptist is baptizing people and people are coming and they say, what does God want us to do? And he's not saying spiritual things. He's not saying, you need to pray more. You need to fast more. Why? You haven't been at church lately. Here's what he's saying to people. He's telling the tax collectors, stop cheating. Don't charge more than you're supposed to. But my favorite is what he says to the soldiers. Here's what he says to the soldiers. Be content with your pay. What's he saying? You guys are whining all, the, you spend most of your time whining. Be thankful. Be grateful. It will make you shine in this world. Well, Pastor Tom, everybody's complaining. Yeah, I get that. But it doesn't have to be you. The world doesn't know how to live for Jesus. You do. And God wants us to have thankful hearts in the workplace. So, so my, my, one of my heroes in the Bible is a guy named Daniel. Daniel is in secular work. He is a manager. And the Bible says in, in, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, that Daniel distinguished himself because he was of an extraordinary spirit. 
Now, if you're a Christian, you are of an extraordinary spirit. You, you've, you've got the goods, friend, to distinguish yourself and shine in the workplace. And then it gives how he, what it looked like to shine in the workplace. Because these guys, he was going to be promoted because bosses are looking for somebody that they can trust. So he wants, Daniel, uh, there's favor on this guy. He, I can trust him. He, he works when I'm not watching. I want Daniel promoted. And so he gets attacked by these two other guys that are persecuting him. And, but they review his work. And here's what they say about his work. It was honest. They couldn't find any corruption. And it was diligent. He was faithful in every assignment that he had. Honesty, diligence, and then it says, it says in Daniel 6, that Daniel, three times a day, took time to just thank God. He's grateful. Shining in the workplace. All right, point two. Only two points this morning, sorry for those that wanted three. God's presence at work. Song of Songs 1-4, draw me after you and let us run together. This is God's plan for our lives. The high call of God is intimacy where we, are, we draw close to God and then that we do our job, our assignment together with him, that we will run together horizontally, that we will do our work together. It's not working for Jesus, it's working with Jesus. The highest call of every believer, the highest call on the human race, is found in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God has called us into fellowship with his son. This is all about your fellowship with Jesus. Well, Pastor Tom, if I was in the ministry, you know, I would, I would fellowship with Jesus. I, I need a job in the church. I need a job around Christians. Then I would be in fellowship with Jesus. It's not how it works. That, that, that's absolutely not how it works. Oftentimes, people think ministry is going to be this really joyful place. And the truth is, is ministry, you're with people. And it turns out there's not joy in ministry. There's joy in Jesus. There's an anointing for ministry which is actually dangerous because you think I must be near Jesus because I'm being used by him. But the truth is you can be distracted by your serving. You can be distracted by ministry. You can be distracted by church. This is what happened to Martha. Martha is serving Jesus. She's a little bitter. Mary's left me to do all the serving alone. Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about many things. You have become distracted by your serving. One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good part. And people are like, well, somebody's got to do the work. Mary was serving. It's just she wasn't distracted when Jesus was there. Jesus is the main event. We need to keep our happiness in Jesus. We need to, he is the fuel for everything else and he will work with us. He wants to work with us in secular things, in things that are, don't seem religious. So I learned this from the guy that discipled me. So his name was Greg and it was a ministry that was all about discipleship. So everybody that got saved got a mentor that, that basically showed you how to do the Christian life. Well, I got 
I got saved at the end of my freshman year, and then I made a decision to be a disciple at the beginning of my sophomore year. And so second semester of my sophomore year, I am on fire for Jesus, but I'm also just packed full of sin. I, my heart is filled with lust, and I, I just don't trust anything about myself. I, I'm like saved one day at a time, and I have to basically give my heart to Christ again every morning because I'm so wicked. And, and so I get a plan, and here is the plan. I am going to take all of the hardest classes in one semester. So I take in one semester, same semester, accounting, statistics, calculus, and computer science. And my thought is this. How can I lose here? I will be so busy that I won't have time to sin. And while I'm doing all this, I will sense my dependence on God. I, there's only, there's, uh, this is impossible to do all this in one semester. So, um, so I've got this semester plan, and I go down with my mentor to study. We go down, and we had, we had a study area, and I've got a lot to study, and, but so does he. He's in the engineering school. He, he's, he's got lots of stuff. And we're beginning studying, and he doesn't have his, his textbook out. He's reading the Bible. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? We're, this is, we're supposed to say. He said, oh, I've, I've, I've made a commitment to God. Before I study, I always acknowledge him. I always spend a little time reading his word and just acknowledge my need for him in my studying. I'm like, huh. He said, and then God helps me study. He helps, helps me with what's going to be. You could never study everything they want you to, and he just helps illuminate me so that I'll, I'll do enough to pass what I need to pass, and, and it's about pleasing him. It's not about reading every book that they tell you to read. And so I'm like, okay, I'll try that. And so... I became very conscious that you put God first, and then while you study, you acknowledge that God's there, that the Holy Spirit's helping you not just read the Bible, but he's helping you with your other classes. And so, uh, but the one that was the stinker was computer science. I just, I couldn't get it. I, that we had a guy, our TA, he was from another country. We couldn't really understand him that well. And computer science, it, it, writing program, I can do memory work easy, but this is, you got to figure stuff out and know stuff. And it was, and they said that half of the, half of the, the exam, it was going to be, you had to write a program yourself. And I'm like, I can't, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. So I talked to my mentor and he, he actually took computer science. He said, listen, I'm, let's, we'll study together. So he's like, I'm just going to take this one problem that was on a test 10 years ago or whenever he took it, two years ago. And he said, I'm gonna, I'm, we're, gonna, we're just going to work this one problem and, and try it. So our whole study time, hours, was me trying to understand one problem. Did you know that that problem that exact problem was on the final exam. It's 50% of our grade. And I'm like, this is the only problem I can do. And it's here. I love you, Jesus. Now, it got even more exciting because on the last day we were with our TA, the last day, he says to, to this whole group of people that are all afraid of what's going to happen with their, their grade, He's like, by the way, I know that none of you can understand me. So I just want you to know 
that no one in here is getting less than a B. Is that legal? I don't know. And I wasn't asking. I'm just like, that's the first thing I understood the whole semester. Boom! So then I, but then that, that carried over to, I graduated in business. I, I, I was in it, I got a job as an investment broker, but the firm that I was with, it was 100% commission. I actually had to pay for office space and it was all on me to sell. And we're selling mutual funds, we're selling insurance, we're selling all kinds of stuff. And frankly, selling is just, it's just very distasteful to me to have to get people to buy stuff. And I, I just said, God, I can't, I can't make people buy stuff. I don't want to. I have no desire to do it. But if I can just serve people, I'm happy to make the calls, I'm happy to make the contacts, and I'm happy to serve people, but I can't be, I can't be in sales. You have to be in sales. You, you make the sales, I will do, I will do the work, and, and we'll have that. And, uh, and so that, I, I found I could do it. I could, I, it's, it's amazing. You can do anything if you're doing it to please Jesus and not to get other people to do stuff. And um, so we, we did this for a few months and um, the problem was we had a second child and, and we were getting behind. We're getting behind on our rent. We're getting behind on everything. And I said, God, I said, God, I, I believe you gave me this job, so I'm gonna stay at this job, but we are not paying our bills and you're in sales. And I said, I, I have to have, with integrity, I have to pay my bills. I will do this one more month as is, and in one month, if we are not paying our bills, I'm going to get a second job. I will stay at this, but I'm going to get a second job. And so, I, I mean, how do you do this with God? I'm just like, you've got a one-month warning. I mean, <laughs> what, what do you do? But I, I do know this, that all the stress on me financially was gone. Once I knew, I've, I'm just, I just need to do this for a month. I can be absolutely at peace. If, it's, we're not, if the bills aren't paid in a month, then I'm going to take a second job. And so I was just, all the stress that I had been under financially was gone. I, I can do this for one month. If God doesn't do it, he's God. He does what he wants. Do you know that from that month on, my business turned around and we, we could make it. We could pay the bills every single month. And honestly, the, the same thing applies to ministry success as a church, how many people are coming, how much money is given in the offering, that's above my pay grade. I can't, I can't do that. I can't think about that. I can serve you. I can love you. And you know I like preaching. But God has to, if more people are going to come, there's going to be a revival. That's God's business. That's not mine. What, Pastor Tom, what's the five-year goal for the church? Let me tell you the five-year goal. I'm going to obey God and try to please God for the next five years. Whatever, whatever else happens, it's up to him. All right, so that was, what was that? Oh, I want to tell you just for a moment about George Mueller. This guy's one of my heroes. Early in the 20th century, he was in England. I'm sorry, 19th century. In England, and he ran orphanages and schools. He took care of 10,000 orphans in his life and established 117 Christian schools. Now, the thing that sets him apart 
is that he believed that God wanted to make a statement through his ministry, not for everybody else, not that everybody else had to do this or that anything was wrong with any, how anybody else was doing it, but he felt specifically God told him, I don't want you to ever ask anyone for money. So he, he's running these orphanages without asking for money. He's running, he starts these schools and the testimony of his life and of his ministry is just millions of dollars coming through him and he ended up being one of the biggest supporter of missions. It was just amazing, stunning, his testimony. He did a lot. That's what I'm trying to say to start. But here's what he wrote in his journal. It has pleased the Lord to teach me a truth, the benefit of which I have not lost for more than 14 years. The point is this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. So I want to suggest to you, every believer, everybody that's put their trust in Jesus Christ should have a quiet time. You, that's just a time set apart every day where you spend time with the Lord, reading the Bible, praying, listening to worship, worshiping, however you do it. I used to say it needed to be in the morning because that's how I do it. And I don't say that anymore. You, you do it however you do it. Find a pattern, find a place, but you need to have time apart with God. Now, I want to encourage you with this goal for your quiet time. Instead of having a goal that you're going to read X amount of chapters or how many devotionals or how many, how long you're going to spend praying over your prayer list, make this the new goal of your quiet time. I'm going to get my soul happy in God. I'm going to press through. I'm going to use the Bible and prayer time to, to press through, to get my identity back in. I am loved and I am favored and I am under grace and I'm going to heaven and my sins are forgiven and I'm just excited about being a Christian. And then I'm going to live my life from that place. Did you know that that's the mission statement of our church? You go out the back thing. It's, it's on the skyline of Madison, right out the doors here. It says, finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing it. Get happy in God and then live out of that. Live out of that place. And this is what God is calling all of us to. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. God's presence in the workplace. God has a gift for each one of us. And it's called enjoying the work itself. This is Ecclesiastes 3.13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Solomon is saying, everything is vain, and I'm doing all this hard work, and I'm making all this money, and who am I going to leave it to, and what are they going to do with it, and vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He says, he says so, the, so I reduced it down to this. The joy can't be what I'm going to do after work, or how much money I'm going to have that I earn at work. He said, the secret is that God has a gift for me to enjoy my actual work. That God and I 
working together, that instead of working being a means to an end, I can receive this gift of God, which is to enjoy my work. Now, I know many are like, Pastor Tom, I hate my job. I'm trying to get a different job. I'm applying for different jobs. Here's what I say to that. I encourage you to do it. If you don't like where you are, if you want another opportunity, go ahead and apply somewhere else. But but here's what I pray for people. But you're going to have to find joy now before God's going to open up the other door. So you need to readjust your attitude now and you need to find something to be thankful for now. Because here's the problem with you in your angst and unhappiness going to another job. Here's the problem. You have to take you with you. And and if you thought that happiness was going to come from the job, you're going to bring that over there and you're going to be just as unhappy in the next place. And God runs everything. If God wants you to get happy in your current job, how many know you're not going to get that other job? If God's like, you're going to do, God can be very stubborn. Has anybody noticed that? If God says you're going to have to change your attitude before you're taking the next step, trust me, you're going to have to change your attitude before you're going to take the next step. So let's stand together, could we? If you are an employee or an employer, would you just open your arms in the receive position? Lord, there is a world of unhappiness at work. There are people are unhappy because of their boss, because of their pay, because of their, their co-workers. There's a, just a world of unhappiness. So this message, it's just, it's in tremendous conflict with what's going on in the world. So Father, our, our arms are open right now to receive this gift that you have for us, which is to, to find joy in work, to find joy in Jesus. But but in our actual work, in our, however mundane our tasks are, however it seems like we're not getting ahead, Lord, that, that it's not about getting ahead. It's about enjoying the work that I'm doing right now with Jesus, that Jesus and I are doing work all day long together. Father, would you, where we have gotten above our pay grade, where we have tried to become successful and trying to get people to promote us, and try, Lord, would you, would you t- just get that off our plate and that burden off of our plate right now? And would you give us a heart to serve others for Jesus' sake? Lord, I pray for promotions. I do pray for doors to be opened. I pray for favor to come raises to come. I pray, God, for better jobs. I pray for more enjoyable jobs. I pray for, I just want your blessing on our entire workforce here. Lord, bless them. Bless them in their work and let there be, from this day forward, more joy at work, I pray. In Jesus' name.